You're listening to the best morning routine ever podcast, the show that proves no one stumbles upon success ever. With your host, Lou Need. Every Mondays and Thursdays, we deliver cold heart evidence behind the power of a robust morning routine. Get ready to be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Hello, morning enthusiasts. Welcome to the Best Morning Routine Ever podcast. I am your host, Dr. Lunid, and today I have the honor of introducing a very special guest, Mark Drake. He has founded Creative Production back in 20, uh, 2006. He grew it to a little over $2 million, and you name it, slowly it started crumbling underneath him. And through that, he's learned some valuable lessons on how to do it right the second time around. And today he has Phantom Medium, and where he focuses on not just growth and keeping the machine running, and we all tend to do that once we start making money, but doing extraordinary work and working with people that are amazing and he loves having around him, but also providing that service and that value and keeping that first. It's almost like being customer-oriented initially. So he is a brand strategist. So with no further ado, Mark, welcome to the show. Good morning. How are you doing? I am blessed. Thank you for coming on. I'm excited. Now, tell me about your hero's journey and how that first business uh, pan out. Well, I started the business when I was 23. Uh, so back in 2006, oh, cool. my first daughter, I have four. My first daughter was a week old and I decided now would be the perfect time to quit my job. Uh, my <laughs> wife wasn't making any money. I was like, I'm going to quit my job and start this agency. And... Uh, Back in 2006, the internet was a very different place. World was a different place. Corporate was a different place. And so uh, I won't go through all of the struggles and challenges, but let's just say it took me two, three, four years to really figure out what was I doing? How do Mm -hmm. I sell? How do I build a team? Uh, What are people paying for? And so uh, by 2010, 2011, we had survived a recession. I had a team of six or seven people. We were doing, I think by 2012, a million in revenue per year. And, mm-hmm. uh, and then we were able to build it up to right before COVID, uh, 24 full-time staff, 2 million in revenue each year. And we were doing television commercials with NBA players. Wow. We were um, working with airlines and vacation companies and shooting stuff out in the Dominican Republic mm-hmm. and being flown around everywhere. And everything got way too big and way too heavy. And uh, we were doing really big projects with really big companies. And because I started this company when I was so young, I didn't realize all the mistakes I was making. And I didn't realize that the more complex the business got, the higher the revenue, the higher the payroll, the bigger the mistakes mm-hmm. <laughs> that I would make. And I built myself a trap, actually. You know, It was a cage, really. Wow. Yeah, no, there's, there's got a lot of gems to be learned from there. Um, learning to growing too fast, too big, too quickly um, can be detrimental. There always, there's always a saying that if you get successful too early, there's consequences to it, which you can um, speak on. So what are some of the, the first two, three years? What are some of the roadblocks that you were hitting? Well, I, I, the first few years, I wasn't too successful too quickly. That was not, yeah. <laughs> that was not a, a blessing I had to deal with. Uh, the main roadblocks were I started like most, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use the word entrepreneurs, but, but frankly, mm-hmm. freelancers, entrepreneurs, self-employed, consultants, coaches, were all the same. Back when I started, I was a small business owner. Like There was no entrepreneur title. It wasn't like hustle culture or anything. And so I was a small business owner and I went to film school and I was working for a company making corporate videos. 
And so when I started my agency, we made corporate videos, right? I went to mm-hmm. school to make videos. I made videos. I sold videos. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize at first that very few people went out at the time and was like, I need a video. And the people who needed videos were at big companies and they wanted to work with big companies and there were a lot of established mm-hmm. players. And so it took me uh, probably two or three years to realize that if I was speaking to someone who worked in an HR department, they didn't really want a video. They wanted the video to communicate something like, ours are values or our culture or our training or, or we want to recruit better people. If I was speaking to someone in sales, they didn't want a video. They wanted a conversion tool or a sales demo. Mm. Right. Yeah. I was busy selling videos like, who wants a video? I'll make you a video. Yeah. I'm the video maker. <laughs> Not realizing that, frankly, no one wanted a video. Everyone wanted to be able to do their job better or uh, have their business uh, uh, goals achieved. And the video was simply a medium in order to do that. It was just a tool. It was just a tool in their toolkit. And that took me yeah. a few years to figure out. Yeah. And that stands true today with the marketing. And- <laughs> it, it's, it's, a, it's a business truth that has always been there and will always be there. It just took me a few years to learn. It stands the test of time. So are those some of the things that you have done to in the new company? Right to actually to Fanta Media. Those are the things that you focus on today to actually make it um, so successful. Yeah, and and so I can speak about the rise in the fall. Like I said before, COVID, we had twenty four staff. Uh, we had a little two million in revenue, but we also had like over a million in payroll. And when the machine has to be fed, we would have anywhere from thirty to forty projects on the go at a given time. We were doing one hundred and twenty to two hundred projects per year. And we didn't have any recurring revenue, meaning like each project had to be scoped, it had to be sold, it had to be delivered, project after project. When you have payroll of over a million, or when you have expenses, when my, my salary and my family are counting on me to make money, it's very mm-hmm. hard to stop a machine. You know, ever, We're all on the hamster wheel, and we knew a lot of things were broken. I was not a great leader. We didn't have a super solid culture. I didn't support the team with proper operations or systems or processes. We were just scrambling, frankly, year mm-hmm. after year after year. And I was getting burnt out and I was getting bored and I couldn't stop the machine. Like, how uh-huh. do I stop taking on projects to fix systems if I still have to pay, you know, $80,000 a month or something like that in payroll? Or how do I? Hire a new COO or something, or bring in new operations. It's going to cost one or two hundred thousand dollars. Like if I don't have the money coming in, so now, like, so I've learned. COVID gave us a lot of great cover, but really, frankly, I've learned that we don't need COVID. If you're running a business where you're getting burnt out, or you're scrambling all the time, or you feel trapped, like I was, the best thing you can do is just, frankly, burn it to the ground as quickly as possible. And rebuild because now we don't have to take on projects that we're not quite right for. We don't have to work with clients who, frankly, are kind of jerks and and don't really value us. We don't have to take on projects that we're doing just for the money to make payroll because Mm -hmm. when things are smaller and when you're starting, especially the second time, I'm not going to make the same mistakes again. And so over the last few years, that's what we've been doing. We've we're not just focused on growth. 
We're not just focused on the biggest projects. We're not focused on ego. We're focused on doing the right things with the right people for the right prices or budgets. And if, if that's slower, I have to deal with that because I'm impatient. <laughs> but mm-hmm. it's frankly how lasting businesses are built. Yeah, your missions are in aligned, right? With the people you decide to work with, your values are in aligned. So it makes it a lot easier to work with those individuals to be, build on those projects as opposed to just thinking about the cash coming in and getting those big projects. Sometimes as um, startups, though, small businesses or even freelancers, initially it's hard to make that decision. So it's not just you, right? Because it's like you need to, you need, you need the money, you need to, the point of a business is to make money. And so it's really hard to turn down those opportunities early on. So what are some of the questions that... Go ahead. It, it is, but it's actually a bit of a trap. So mm. like, here's a perfect example. We have a big project we're doing right now. That's a custom project. It's for an existing client. But if a new person came to us and asked for it, we would never do it. It's custom. It's going to take a lot of time. It's going to take a lot of focus. We haven't done it before, so we're going to have to make mistakes and learn from our mistakes and cover the costs and what have you. And we probably won't do it ever again. Mm-hmm. And so is that smart business? Well, I'm doing it because it's an existing client. But let's say I'm a freelancer. I'm just starting out. You're going to become known for something. And so if you do these projects that aren't really the projects you want to do or kind of outside, either you're going to do a bad job and ruin your name, or you're going to do a great job. Yeah. And then more people are going to ask you to do those things. And you're like, I don't want to do these things. But mm-hmm. you're going to take them on because you want the revenue. And then even more people are going to go like, you really got to work with this person. They're amazing at this thing. And I learned this lesson the hard way. Just because people will pay you, just because you are capable, doesn't mean you should do it. And the more that you do, the more you're going to be known for doing that thing. And more business that you don't want will continue. You will attract more of the wrong type of business. So when you're starting out, yeah, you need the projects. You need the revenue. But uh, at the same time, it's like you keep expenses low. Realize like maybe use those projects that you don't want to do and use the income from it or the revenue from it to do other projects you do want to do for free. But you want to work to become known for the thing that you want to do from day one, if you can. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I agree with you now. I see your, your point. And setting up the right foundation early on is crucial. And being more patient, as you said, second time around, it's a bit slower. But well, you know, long term, right? Long, long term um, game here. So it's not the short gratification. Quick and be done with it. I know Tony Robbins talks about the importance of asking the right questions. And so do you. So let's talk about that. Like, How can one know (laughs) to ask the right questions? Yeah. When I first heard Tony say that, I was like, Oh my goodness, you have just just unlocked something within me. Because whenever we were doing projects, you know, as a brand strategist, as someone who helps entrepreneurs and executives and experts figure out their advantage, figure out their offer, design a badass brand so they can stand out and have credibility and huge huge things. Like This is what we do. I'm basically just peppering people with a million questions. And so if you're not good at figuring out... I mean, you have to be asking the right question to be unlocking the right answers. But often, you don't know what the right question is. 
So just start asking questions, right? Like people are so afraid to ask bold questions, direct questions, blunt questions. They're so afraid to ask themselves it or ask others it. And so I can't give you the right questions to ask other than I will tell you that the hardest thing for everyone to answer, but the most important question you can ask yourself is, what do I want? What do I want? And whether that's in your life or in your relationships, the money you want to make, but even if we break it down to business, let's say that you need sales. What do I want? I want sales. Well, okay. Where will these sales come from? Uh, I, I, I don't know. Leads. Okay, great. Where will the leads come from? What do I need to do to do the leads? How do I need to look? What do I need to say? Who am I targeting? Right. So there's a lot of questions that you need to ask yourself as you put together a strategy or a tactic or you launch anything or you do anything. But it's yeah. all going to start with what do you want? And I can tell you, having done 3,400 projects, having produced over $12 million of creative content for people, having worked with some of the most remarkable people, when I sit down with them and they go, okay, we got this project, I'll go like, great. What do we want this thing to do? Like, What's the goal? And I'm basically asking mm-hmm. them, like, what do you want? Yeah. And it's never specific. It's always vague. It's always all over the place. They're never quite sure. It's kind of an idea. So ask yourself that question all day, every day. And if you can answer it, Basically, how to get what you want becomes more clear once you know what you want. Yeah, it's almost the diving in deeper and keep saying why, why. You know, well, after you give yourself the first answer, then you go why or how, and you kind of start peeling at the onion to kind of get to the to the core of what the objective is. What is that objective that most people are looking for? Is it a tugging at the heart um, f- uh, with their target audience? Is it yeah, what usually is the objective at, at, at the core? I mean, so there's, there's, so there's a few things. People who are self-employed. So again, we, we work with the executive, the expert, or the entrepreneur. So we work with people who bet on themselves. Like if your income, if your money, if your lifestyle, if your freedom is... If you've taken the bet on yourself and you're responsible mm-hmm. for that, those are the people we, we work with. And there's all kinds of soft reasons people do things. There's all kinds of motivations. They want to make an impact. Right. Frankly, I think anyone who is a, is a coach or a consultant, an expert, an executive, an entrepreneur, anyone who spends their time helping other people, I think that, that that's a noble cause. Because frankly, you, you want to make money. right? We all need to make money. We all want to make money. We all want the freedom that comes from wealth. And so we want to be able to do that. And we help people sell more, faster, and easier. That's what our agency does. But on the other side of it, I think it's a really noble, a noble trait and a noble act because frankly, if you've ever... I know you've had people on your podcast who've written books. It takes so much effort, so much time, and it's so hard to write a book. But then once you've written the book, and this book contains everything that you believe in, everything that you know, everything that you want to share with the yeah. people coming up behind you so they don't make the same mistakes you've made, you write this book... Do you know how much effort it takes to get people to even notice the book or read the book or listen to the book or even just talk to you? Like it takes people spend so much time and so much effort just trying to spoon feed the world the lessons that we want them to learn. And so I believe that anyone who takes the time to help someone else needs to be well compensated. So frankly, we help people sell more, we help them make more money. We all want that. But 
We also want to make an impact. Nobody wants to do meaningless work. Nobody wants yeah. to just make money robbing other people of stuff. And so, frankly, we want impact and we want to know that we're contributing. And we want to make more money. Hmm. The impact is helping people, making other people's lives easier, providing a product that solves a problem. Well, if you're in a service based business, and that's where we've spent most of our time, people will only pay you for a few things. Either you can do something that they don't know how to do, or you can do something that they don't want to take the time to do. And that's it. Like, I, I need to replace my roof on my house, right? Service based business. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to re roof my house. Okay, great. You're going to go hire a roofer. Or maybe you, you're like me and you know how to re roof your house. But I also, because I know how to re roof my house, I know. I don't want to spend three weeks of my summer time up on the roof falling off and breaking my leg and it's so much work. And like, I don't even want to do that. I'm going to pay someone to do it. So, this is what I love about service based businesses is because when you break it all down at the end of the day, it's either you know how to do something that people don't know how to do, or you're willing to do something that they don't want to take the time to do. And if you mm-hmm. figure out which one of those it is, uh, and maybe it's both, then awesome. You now have a marketable skill or a service that people will pay for. And that's when they bring you in as the brand strategist to figure out the how to get it in front of people, to get the messaging just right, to target the right audience. Exactly. We help people find what we call their ultimate badass advantage. So, frankly, like what is the thing that makes you you? And once yeah. we know what that advantage is, uh, we can then, with confidence, go all in on it. We also help people understand who their VIP clients are, uh, what those VIP clients care about most. Because if we understand who they are and where they are, the platforms they're on and what they care about, we can shape our messaging to appeal to them. And then mm-hmm. we do competitive analysis to determine, hey, what are our competitors doing or not doing so we can be mm-hmm. unique? And then we bring it all together creating this badass advantage, this badass offer. So that way, frankly, people will look at you with the respect you deserve so you can charge what you're actually worth. Yeah. And you help with the copy piece of it, putting the copy into it all. Done for you service. We do all of it. We do the strategy. We do the market research. We do the competitive analysis. We do it from top to bottom. We write your positioning. We write your copy. We help you develop everything. We are a done-for-you agency. So while... I mean, there's a lot of people who who, who say... <laughs> and I, I want to be nice. But there's a lot of people who say that, Oh, you just buy this course. Well, okay. Great. So let's go back to the either they're going to do it for you or because you don't want to or they know what you don't know. I'm going to be honest with you. You can buy a course, but it's not going to teach you what the 15 years of experience has taught me. <laughs> right. And so yeah, uh, we do this. We do this for people. Six weeks, uh, really, really great process. A lot of fun. We will completely change your business. That's pretty good. Yeah, I, it really irks me when you have coaches or you have brand strategists who just want to walk you through it and don't really come out like, if I could do this myself, I wouldn't have joined your your tribe, right? I wouldn't have joined <laughs> your circle. Well, and there's because a place just, for it. You know, we have a free playbook. If any of your listeners want a copy of our free playbook, we teach people how to do it. We give you all of the steps. But but I'm going to be honest with you, it's like a 62-page dense document and like you're going to get into it. We wrote it for our own team to teach our team how yeah. to do this. 
So I'll teach you how to do it for free and you're going to get into it. It's a bit like roofing, right? You're going to get up there on the roof and you're going to look at your hammer and your nails and this tar paper <laughs> and everything. You're going to go like, uh, wait, what do I do now? And you can watch a YouTube video, but it doesn't mean, it's, doesn't mean your roof is not going to leak, right? There's just so much information though, right? That, that we are in the information era. So it's overload information. You got YouTube, you got Google. So I see the need to actually get an expert matter to, to help with precisely what you're looking for. Because if you try going fishing, you're wasting time, is money. You're just... Uh, yeah, you know what? That. I used to watch fishing shows and I go like, how do they catch fish all the time? I used to go with my grandfather fishing. It was the most boring thing in the world. We'd go out for hours and not catch anything ever. And uh, it's the same thing, right? Like if you watch a fishing TV show or something or online, it's like they're catching stuff like crazy because they know what to do and they know where the fish yeah. are. <laughs> yeah. And then they cut right to when they catch it. They deleted all the three exactly. hours. They, 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 they delete all the other stuff. <laughs> so we can save you all those hours of just sitting there with the pole <laughs> in the water waiting. <laughs> I like it. Um, let's talk about your morning routine. How do you get up, dress up, and show up? Now, I'm going to give you uh, what I do when I'm feeling my most confident. But I'm also going to preface this with the fact that I don't do this consistently all the time. So this is going to sound pretty pretty cool what I do, but I'm I'm going to give you what I what I normally do. But some mornings, like this morning, I just slept until seven a.m. <laughs> I just <laughs> I just wanted to sleep and I just slept. So so a morning routine, uh, uh, in my experience, a morning routine people get caught up with the wrong things. Like the only purpose of a morning routine is to put you into the state you need to be in to do what you want to do. Mm-hmm. And so for me as as a leader so as a CEO of an agency as an entrepreneur as a leader as someone who works with clients I only have 3 jobs I only have 3 roles I need to be strategic I need to be uh decisive so I need to make really decisive decisions and I need to have confidence That's a leader's job right a leader's job is to be strategic to be decisive and to have confidence and so I, when I'm, when I'm not being lazy, when I'm not sleeping in, when I'm not just like, oh man, I'm tired, my morning routine is built to make sure that I show up thinking strategically, which means being bold and, um, yeah. and connecting dots and being sharp. It means that I can be decisive because I struggle with making decisions and sticking with them. So I got to make a decision quickly, stick with it, and then I need to have confidence. And so I get up at 4.30. I get up at 4.30 in the morning. You can get up at any time. It doesn't matter. But when I'm doing my best morning routines, I'm going to bed at around 9. Getting up at 4.30, I drink about a liter of water right away. I make my coffee and I stretch a bit. And then that takes usually about half an hour to kind of like stretch and wake up. And so by 5 a.m., I'm out the door, uh, coffee in hand. I listen to books because I find that my best mentors and my best friends come from biographies. It comes from books. So I do what I call my call it a, a stumble around. So I don't bring my dog. I don't walk really quickly, but I take about a forty-five minute walk really slowly, and I yeah. just loosen up my body. I listen to whatever I'm listening to and whatever I need in that day. If I know I have meetings, if I know I need to be strategic. I'm going to listen to more like strategy stuff. If I'm feeling depressed or down or sad or scared, I'm going to listen to a biography of someone who's like done amazing things. And I just surround myself with whatever attitude I need. And by the time I show up at home, I am ready to crush the day. And so uh, I get about an hour of kind of like deep work done, wake up my kids, 
make them breakfast, make them lunch for the day, send them off to school. And then 8 a.m. every day, I have a team meeting with different people on my team. At 9.30, I go to the gym for an hour. Ooh. And uh, I tend to start work at around actually 11. So <laughs> this was a big change for me and a big struggle. I feel super blessed. I feel super privileged. Yeah. And at the same time, a little guilty. <laughs> but I really tend to work between 11 and 4, which is not a very long work day. But I will say I'm not counting my 8 a.m. team meeting. I'm not counting the fact that I work from like 6 to 7 a.m. I'm not counting the work I do after work. I'm not counting the fact that on Saturdays or Sundays, I tend to put in 4 or 5 hours here or there. But that 11 to 4 p.m. is the time for meetings, podcast recordings, tapings, uh, pitches. That's my deep work. The rest of the time, I'm doing all the stuff that really excites me, like the visionary stuff, the new tools, all the stuff that are like my little pet projects. Yeah. Good way to time block as well and utilizing your, your optimum when you know your, the deep work piece of it is knowing when you're most productive. So what could take you two, three hours doesn't take you eight because you're trying to stretch it out and not eating your frog first kind of thing. Yeah, I don't, I don't get to like, like do the thing you hate most in the day. It's like, and get it out of the way. Um, I mean, I don't really like to do, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't really like to do the things I hate. Like I'll push them off forever. But <laughs> part of, part of being, uh, maybe I'm a bad entrepreneur this way, but like I'm really good at getting other people to do the stuff I don't want to do. There you uh, go. And, and maybe that's why I'm, I've been able to build teams around me. So like, I don't want to do that. Yeah. How can we go find someone who enjoys that? And then, yeah. If they enjoy it and I can pay them to do it, they're going to do it so much better than me because I hate it. So. It's true. It's true. No, I agree with you. Part of being a great leader is being able to delegate stuff out and being decisive with you. You do, you're working so well on. Now, you do two types of workouts. So you do the walk with the audiobooks or whatever you're consuming, you know, you're, you're stimulating the mind. And then you will do a workout around nine, nine o'clock. So you're definitely moving the body. Do you find that gives you more energy? Yeah, and then I do. And then in the evening, I do, I do lifting four times a week. So, my goodness. So, and, and I do another <laughs> walk with my, I, I do a lot of um, movement. I love it. Wednesdays are my recovery day. I do nothing and I feel horrible. I get a lot of work done on Wednesdays, but I don't feel good. So, yeah, I do a walk in the morning, I do a walk in the evening. So it adds up to like maybe an hour and a half to two hours of walking. And then I do a classic Orange Theory. And then four days a week, I do a 45 to 60 minute lift or, or strength workout. Yeah. Well, then you find that it gives you a lot more energy to show up better. I got to tell you, because I've lost a lot of weight over the last few years, I've put a little bit back on. Uh, I'm about 30 pounds <laughs> heavier than I was at my leanest, but I'm still 40 pounds less than I was at my heaviest. So I'm feeling okay about that. But I, I started working out five years ago and I started getting really fit three years ago. And uh, I can't tell you how different it is. Like people treat you differently. You have a different level of confidence in yourself. But mm -hmm. even all of that stuff aside, like you don't get winded going up or down the stairs. You can move a lot. You can walk a lot. Uh, your core strength, you don't even realize. You don't have to worry about slipping and falling or, or any of that stuff. Like you can just catch yourself. You're carrying the groceries into the house. You don't pull any muscles. You don't worry about stuff. Like just, I don't think we realize how much energy it takes to be unfit. You know, like be not feeling good and not having energy and feeling down and having muscle aches or joint aches like the wrong kind. Like right now I have I have my shoulders are really hurting from my workouts. But when my shoulders hurt from a workout, that just reminds me that I'm that I'm really pretty badass. <laughs> Before when my stuff hurt, when my body hurt, it was because it was like a distraction. So 
I don't think we account for how much energy and time it takes to eat improperly, to not exercise, and to feel bad all the time. And it takes time and energy to eat well and to exercise and to move, but it unlocks more energy, actually. Yeah, it's an upswing versus the opposite where it just weighs you down. It's just negative energy and you're constantly worrying about pain and slipping and falling, like you said. Yeah. What about um, meditation for you? Is the the walking with the audiobook a form of meditation? Perhaps. I've tried meditation. Uh, I've had, um, I have a podcast, We Do Hard Things. Uh, You can find it on YouTube and we've interviewed all kinds of cool people. I had a I had uh, Dr. Spiegel on, who's the world's leading researcher and practicing psychologist in hypnosis. And he has an app out. And I, I didn't really believe... like I've tried meditating, but I, I struggle with it and I haven't practiced. But then he did this thing with hypnosis. And I was like, oh, this is so much cooler than meditation. I feel mm-hmm. like meditation is working to clear your mind and focus on breathing. So that way you can sit in the stillness. And hypnosis is about actually the opposite. It's about picking one thing and focusing in on it equally with breathing, equally with other things. So um, I've not done any of that stuff well, but I do walk a lot and I love it. I do spend... I I do need my me time because I'm an introvert. And often I will work to actually just turn off the podcast, turn off the music, turn off the books I'm listening to, turn things off and just listen to the birds and spend some time silently. But... Um, but I am not. I am not a good meditator. <laughs> it feels too inactive to me. Yeah. Okay. Keep it. Keep it moving. So, as introverts um, leading your team, do you find that you surround yourself with more extroverts or similar? Well, to you? I, I, I. The first time I built, I mean, we all work to bring on people just like us, right? Like this mm-hmm. is the thing when when you're starting, and if you're starting something, I'm explaining a bunch of mistakes I've made. You're gonna make this. You're gonna make your own mistakes. Like there's every single successful person I've spoken to didn't avoid mistakes. They learned from the mistakes and they took the time to fix them. So making mistakes is not a sign of you being bad. Ignoring the mistakes is a sign of you being bad. And so naturally, when I built my first team, I needed people like me. You know, when you're small, you need people like you because you need that shorthand. You need that you can trust them. They can run with it, right? Mm. Like it is when you're very small, it is very helpful to have people just like you. Now, there comes a tipping point where as you're growing and as you're scaling, if you have three, four, five people and you're all the same, you're going to be really good at that one thing. But as soon as you start to introduce people who are not like you, they're not going to fit in. They're not going to feel good. Your, your systems won't work for them. Nothing's going to work for them. They won't fit in. You'll be hard to attract them or hard to retain them. But you can't scale a business and you can't scale a team with people who only think like you think because you're basically right. surrounding yourselves with the same type of thing. And so now I work very, very carefully to find uh, to realize that each role requires something of that person. And I try to hire the right person for the role as opposed to the person who I think I will get along the best with. And maybe that's just more of a maturity that's come with business. Or maybe it's me realizing that like, Hey, I can work with people that I love and like, and that's awesome. But we're all just going to make the same mistakes and have the same strengths. And so if I have a... If I have like, for example, um, if I have someone who's a little bit more uh, operational, let's say they're helping with research or SEO for search engine optimization or marketing and they're helping with research. 
in the past, I would have wanted someone who was like friendly and outgoing and like and and love to banter and love to talk and all this stuff. But that type of person isn't going to want to spend all day every day just looking at research and doing administrative work. It's mm-hmm. going to be someone who's a little quiet or maybe a little bit um, uh, standoffish or maybe they're in their head a lot. Maybe you can't just throw at them random ideas because they need time to process it. Because the type of person who likes to do research and sit all day every day with spreadsheets is going to be someone who needs time to process things and might be a deep thinker and have an attention to detail. And they're not going to want me to just come in and be like, Hey guys, let's change everything up on the fly all the time. And so now I work to bring in other people. Not necessarily introverts or extroverts. That doesn't matter to me. It's more about finding the right person for the role who can actually work in that role. Well put. Yeah, I really like that. Especially when hiring as a small business. You want to see if it's a good fit. <laughs> not just personality, but organizational fit uh, in the role. They fit in that role too. Yeah. Frankly, extroverts just... Because uh, I'm such an introvert. The reason we have a team meeting at 8am every day is because like, often I'll be like, Okay, team. I'll see you tomorrow. Like, like, just leave me alone. <laughs> and so I like working with like chit chatting with people and like, Hey, how you doing? I used to have a staff member who like, I got upset often and I couldn't figure out why. And I, and I asked her finally, and she's like, you don't say hello in the morning when you come into work. I would come into the office and I would go straight to my office and I sit down and I start working. And I was like, what? Like, she's like, are you mad with me? You're not saying hello. And I'm like, why would I say hello in the morning? Like, why do I need to stop on the way in to chat with you? And then I learned this is important to her. She's extroverted. She, she thinks that I'm like, you know, and so you learn these things as you go. But frankly, I would rather just not have to say hello in the morning. I'd rather just come in, do my work and leave. <laughs> yeah. Small talk, right? Um, introverts, we hate small talk, but it, it, it's, it must be done. I, I agree. <laughs> I agree. Cut from a different fabric. Uh, tell us um, how can we connect with you? Where can we find you? Well, if you want to check out the podcast that I host that I mentioned, you can head over to YouTube. Look up We Do Hard Things. It's a podcast for people who bet on themselves. And uh, if you want to follow up with me, maybe get the, the playbook I mentioned that you can download. I can send it to you for free. It's not part of my system yet or anything like that. You can head over to Instagram. My handle is at mark.drager. And uh, you can send me a DM. It's me. And uh, we can chat. Sounds good. Thank you so much, Mark, for coming on and being part of the show. Um, Before you leave, give us one of your favorite quotes. Oh, oh, favorite quotes. Um, I will... Uh, I'm just... I'm going to give you the one that popped into my head first. Uh, mm-hmm. From the Bible. I'm pretty sure it's from First Timothy, but it's also from Spider-Man. To, <laughs> to those... <laughs> uh, with great power comes great responsibility. I don't know why that popped into my head first, but but it feels like that's that's how we should wrap this up. Yeah, well put. Thank you for sharing. It's been a delight having you on. Thank you. Well, all right, morning enthusiasts. That's it for today's show. Thank you for tuning in. If you love the Best Morning Routine Ever podcast, we'd love to hear from you. So go ahead and subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes or Google Play. While you're at it, tell a friend about the show. Be sure to visit bestmorningroutineever.com and our Facebook group to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover our fantastic free bonus content. Until next time.